As usual, I asked our guest Nathan Yonke to pound the table for some of this offseason. Nathan, who you pounded the table for? Going with Austin Eckler. I think he's going to have a top five running back season this year. Uh, he's had a great history of success, was RB4 two years ago. I know he was hurt a bit last year, but he was RB7 before he got hurt. And then over the last part of the season, once he was back playing again, he was RB7 again. So I think he's had a great history of success. I think with the new coaching staff with Joe Lombardi, um, he's had a great history of success with receiving running backs, whether it's Alvin Kamara, Pierre Thomas, uh, Darren Sproles, even going back to when he was offensive coordinator in Detroit. That's when Theo Riddick had his excellent receiving season. And then I think it'll help him having all the improvements they've had to the offensive line. Rashawn Slater, Corey Lindsley replaced both of the guards. Uh, that should really help in the run game since he was getting contacted in the backfield over 50% of the time on his carries, which wasn't his fault. But that should happen a lot less frequently with this new offensive line, which should help his rushing success as well. Excellent, excellent. Hard to argue with anyone who brings up the Chargers offense or Pierre Thomas, which is a great throwback. Everyone follow Nathan's advice. Go get you some Austin Eckler. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the last 2021 off-season installment of the Most Accurate Podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. My co-host today is the unflappable Chris Allen. How's it going, Chris? It's doing great. We got four days before the regular season. I'm excited to actually see real football on TV, so let's get into it. Excellent, excellent. As I mentioned, we're excited to have Nathan Yonke on the show today. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at PFF underscore Nate, J-A-H-N-K-E. And check out all his fantastic stuff at Pro Football Focus, affectionately abbreviated to PFF. Nathan, I, I love PFF. I love your work over there. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for the kind words and thanks for having me. Excellent. Uh, we're going to talk AFC West today. Uh, I'm sorry, AFC South today. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, a question real quick. I, I wanted to kind of get your take on uh, Tua Tagovailoa because you listed him as a sleeper to target in later rounds in an article you put out last week. Uh, I will share the link in our show notes as well. Listeners should read it. Uh, what makes you so bullish on Tua uh, and what makes you think of him as a sleeper? Sure. I think a lot of people were very critical about how he played last year as a rookie, which uh, for one, we had the COVID year, which impacts all rookies. And we did see a number of rookies succeed despite that last year. But I think it also made it difficult the receiving group that Tua had throughout the season. Um, first off, the Dolphins had two of their receivers that they expected to make the roster opt out at the beginning of last year. Um, then on his second start, Preston Williams got a season ending injury um, throughout the rest of his time he had basically every wide receiver either get hurt or get benched so from one week to another it was pretty inconsistent who he even had on the field uh, most of those guys aren't even on the Dolphins roster anymore and instead they made two fairly big upgrades with Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell as two of his new wide receivers. I think like a whole season off season in camp is going to help to like mm -hmm. no, no hip injury. Like I I'm with you. I kind of like, it. and as a Dolphins fan, I I'm, I'm very hopeful that you're absolutely correct. <laughs> on that. Uh, Chris, I wanted to ask you real quick. I've heard a lot about, uh, we talk a lot about best ball strategy. Uh, what's your redraft quarterback st strategy? And I'm talking like your typical one quarterback leagues. How do you approach the quarterback position? And is Tua going to be on your radar? Uh, since as Nathan has brought him up as a sleeper. Absolutely. Uh, actually, I wrote up Tua as one of the six quarterbacks that I had identified that could have a breakout season here in 2021. And I think that between, if you look at just the overall results, uh, comparing Tua versus Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course you'd say that Tua needed some more time to develop. But I think if you look at the opportunity and how he was deployed on the field, he wasn't completely used differently than how Ryan Fitzpatrick was when they put him on the field. Neutral passing rate for both Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick was fairly similar, about 55-56% to 58% for Fitzpatrick. Red zone passing rate was fairly similar as well, around 38-39%. Also, deep ball rate was fairly close, but it was just the results. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick completely blew him away from an efficiency standpoint, or not blew him away, but at least he was better than Tua from an EPA per play standpoint. Also, the uh, CPOE, so completion percentage over, over expected, also much greater for Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I can see why the coaches felt more comfortable with having him there. But if you look at, uh, there's a quick study that I did. You can check it out in my piece over at 444, looking at at least the rookie quarterbacks over the, uh, since 2016, 
uh, Tua's actual uh, efficiency on field lines up with some of the better passes we've seen come out. He's fairly close to Carson Wentz in his rookie season, which wasn't terrible, wasn't bad. Uh, it was close. It was like short, uh, somewhat behind like Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, but enough to give us some confidence. Now, I know that they start off the season against the Patriots, so that is some cause for concern. But looking at some of the teams that they are playing towards the middle of the season and also down the stretch, I think they get like a couple of good matchups there, uh, like around like the week six, week seven time frame as well. So it's just, I think there is enough optimism there and the way that what Nathan lined uh, lined out earlier about adding Will Fuller, adding Jalen Waddell. I mean, Devontae Parker comes back. I mean, he has like actual healthy core receivers. I think those are the, like a guy like Tua, that archetype of quarterback that also has the mobility on top of that, that's what you want to target in your redraft league. So, I, But I can understand if you think that, what he has in front of him, the offensive line concerns that might be a little risky. I am looking at some of those top 12 quarterbacks, at least top 12 from the consensus rankings that we see uh, across the industry. Uh, but I'm not essentially trying to target like the Kyler Murrays, the Josh Allens of the world, the guys that are going to require at least a significant amount of opportunity cost in order to draft them this season. I am looking more towards the back end. A guy that I am targeting towards the, like in most of my drafts as of right now from a redraft perspective is Jalen Hurts. I mean, starts off the starts off the season against Atlanta, which we know should at least provide enough uh, <laughs> enough talent in order to enough opportunity in order to create like one of those QB one weeks like for him. But on top of that, we've seen improvements from the passing game. I mean, Zach Ertz, who's now like still a part of the fold, even though a lot of folks were hoping for Dallas Goddard. I do think there's a there's enough there for him to at least produce. Jalen Rager is looking good. Quez Watkins out of nowhere is looking good. And of course, Devonta Smith, I mean, completely taking over, at least in the conversation for one of the, the best like rookie wide receivers out of this particular class. So I do like Jalen Hurts from that perspective because he does fall to the back end of the QB1s. That's how at least I'm looking at quarterbacks from a redraft perspective this season. Excellent, excellent, good, good, uh, good commentary there. Also, uh, definitely taking the over on the Philly Atlanta matchup oh, yeah. that we yeah. won. <laughs> Folks, four for four is partnered with Underdog Fantasy, and I, for one, am taking full advantage. I'll be in dozens of leagues by the time the season begins, and I love the best ball format. I can draft a team and then enjoy zero maintenance all season long. No setting lineups, no waivers, no problem. You automatically get maximum points out of your team each week. Right now, we have a screaming good deal. If you deposit $10 at Underdog Fantasy and use the promo code 4 for 4 that's 4-F-O-R-4, you get $25 from Underdog. That's the price of admission to Best Ball Media 2 with $3.5 million in total prizes. And you get a pro subscription to 4 for 4 This is one of the best promos I've seen in my 14 years with 4 for 4 So take advantage. Go sign up today. Uh, all right, let's get into the AFC South. I want to break down this division. I do want to turn this into a Dolphins podcast, but I'm going to I'm going to restrain myself <laughs> from doing that. Uh, generally speaking, we'll talk redraft and best ball if it differs and how. Uh, Nathan, let's start with the Tennessee Titans. The biggest question with the Titans, uh, are we worried about the workload wear and tear for Derrick Henry? Historically, uh, there's been issues when players touch the ball almost 400 times and then the next season uh, go out there. He is getting up into uh, the 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 back end of the 20s but he's also been super dominant so uh should we be concerned about wear and tear for a guy who's going top five in most drafts yeah i think there's definitely some reason for concern there i think that's the reason he's getting drafted closer to fourth or fifth rather than second in drafts but i think there's basically a similar reason for concern for a lot of the other running backs you're getting that are getting picked in the top eight or so some of them the wear and tear caused them to get injuries and they're coming back from injury now and we're concerned about them because of that. So I think um, the concern's there, but the concern's also there for every other running back. Maybe not quite as much for some of those other running backs, but every player you're picking has some reason for concern, even at the top of the draft. Sure. Um, are you targeting any of his backups? We know Darrington Evans went on IR. I'm not sure how long he's going to be out for, but Jeremy McNichols is kind of hanging around there. Um, anyone on in that backfield you would handcuff in a redraft strategy? Um, I'm probably avoiding it just because I think even if there is an injury, we could see both of those running backs that you mentioned seeing playing time with McNichols, seeing more of the pass down work, Evans more of the run down work, and I could see them shifting more to a passing team overall if Henry gets injured. So I could see the strategy of the team in general changing if Henry gets hurt. 
So if they do shift to a passing uh, team, or if you're approaching things, uh, you know, with, with that approach, uh, Ryan Tannehill, does his value uh, change for you, or is he still uh, kind of? Well, I guess Ryan Tannehill is already pretty valuable. How are you approaching Tannehill in the passing game? Uh, yeah, I have him ranked right around quarterback 10 right now. Um, I think he'll do a little better than that. I just don't see him having the upside of being a top five quarterback where basically every other quarterback in the top 10, I could see a pretty easy scenario for them to get in the top five. Um, he's already been very efficient, uh, third in fantasy points per dropback last year. So I don't think um, adding Julio Jones over Corey Davis is going to make a huge difference just because he was already so efficient it would really take the Titans passing the ball more, which is probably would be a Henry injury in order for him to get the dropbacks needed to be a top five quarterback. Fantasy points per dropback. I'll be honest, that's a new one on me. Can you kind of tell me about that? Oh uh, yeah, just looking uh, looking at dropbacks. So taking into account uh, passing attempts uh, when they're sacked, uh, rushing. So it kind of helps looking at the rushing value for quarterbacks as well, since almost all of the top 10 quarterbacks have at least some rushing value. So it's basically an efficiency metric looking at how well someone does at fantasy versus how many total attempts they have at doing something that's relevant to fantasy. I love this. See, we bring PFF people on. We bring somebody like yourself. We get these like extra data points. Chris, oh, yeah. is, that, is, that, is that something you look at a lot? I know uh, you, you're always kind of deep in the data as well. I haven't looked at that stat particularly, but it absolutely makes sense. That's something that you would, I guess, consider when looking at quarterbacks from an efficiency standpoint. So I'll have to work it into my work as well. (laughs) Is Tannehill on your top 12 radar uh, quarterback-wise, Chris? Is he a value option for you in redraft? Absolutely. Like what Nathan laid out was the ideal, I guess, the ideal archetype of from an efficiency standpoint from the from a quarterback position that you would want to target. And he actually is on my list of quarterbacks for guys that I want to target, not just because of what he brings, not just through the passing game, but also on the ground. They also have a decent schedule to start off with. They play against Arizona and Seattle, I believe, in their first few weeks. So if you think that they can wind up in, we're not trying to project game flow or anything like that, but if you think that they do wind up having to pass a bit more, considering the offenses that they're going up against, their passing rate in when they've behind when they've been behind has kicked up to about 57%. This was just last year alone. Uh, but when it's been down, or when they've been ahead, rather, uh, it's all the way down at like 40%. So I know that it's difficult to get behind Ryan Tannehill, at least for some folks, because, I mean, the face of the Tennessee Titans is Derrick Henry, like a guy that looks like he graduated from like the University of Wakanda. So like, I understand why you would not <laughs> want to invest in that team, because they are typically a run first offense. But I mean, Ryan Tannehill, I mean, in the last his last 27 starts, he's been a top 12 quarterback in 16 of them. In those same 27 starts, he's been a top six quarterback in 11 of those starts. So it's like he's been able to provide quarterback one, like overall quarterback one upside on a, on a fairly consistent basis. And so now if you still have A.J. Brown, who's like has the archetype of receiver that you'd want to invest in, Julio Jones, and even Anthony Ferkser, who like pops up for a touchdown like here and there as well. It's just the pieces are all there in place. So I do think that Tannehill is a guy that you should be targeting in redrafts. Absolutely. Excellent. You bring up Ferkser. I wanted to bring up Ferkser because he's kind of one of my favorite three tight end guys. Like when I, when I don't get a really good tight end early on, I like to have three tight ends late. And I'm, I've been pairing Ferkser up a lot with like Gerald Everett and Zach Ertz. And uh, he's somebody I like. Nathan, um, what's your take on Anthony Ferkser now that Johnny Smith is gone and takes his 65 targets with him to New England? Um, I spent most of the spring uh, pretty excited about him, but then the preseason hit and I became a little less excited. Um, In 2020, the Titans had a pretty unique way of using their tight ends. Uh, Ferkser was their third down tight end and 11 personnel. Uh, Joni Smith uh, took that role on first and second downs. Uh, Smith played in two tight end sets with Jeff Swain, and then either Smith or Swain was the tight end in 21 personnel. And then the 2021 preseason hit, and uh, Luke Stocker was in for Swain for a lot of that. Stocker's not on the roster anymore. Swain will take his role back. But it was Tommy Hudson taking a lot of the snaps that Jonu Smith was taking last year. It was Hudson and Stocker in 12 personnel. Ferkser only took about four snaps in 12 personnel throughout the preseason out of about uh, 26 opportunities with the starters. And then it was Tommy Hudson taking the early down work in 11 personnel. And Ferkser was basically taking the exact same role he had last year of 
just playing the third downs as a tight end. And there wasn't a tight end in the league last year that was top 15 that only had that role and finished well in fantasy overall. Ooh, that's concerning. That's concerning. So Tommy Hudson, uh, do you think that he becomes fantasy relevant or do you think it just hurts Ferkser? I think it just hurts Ferkser. Like, I think he will, if you're in a league that for whatever reason starts two tight ends, I could see Hudson potentially having a little bit of value there. But um, I think it basically a lot of canceling each other out in terms of fantasy relevance. Okay. Uh, as you both have alluded to, like efficiency is the game in Tennessee. That's the way it works. So uh, with the receivers there, that's one thing that we've seen A.J. Brown really show up. He had 11 touchdowns last year on 106 targets. Uh, he's going second round right now. Maybe, maybe occasionally early third he might drop, but mostly second round and redraft. Uh, Nathan, are you buying A.J. Brown at ADP? And what do you think his ceiling is? I think ADP is right around where he should be going. I think he is already talent-wise among the elite wide receivers in the NFL. He's in that top-tier players. And I think it's just Derrick Henry being on the roster that's holding him back from being one of those top couple fantasy wide receivers. I think Justin Jefferson in Minnesota is a very similar case where it's because they have Dalvin Cook that Jefferson probably won't reach his ceiling. And that's why we see... Uh, the top three wide receivers going in draft, those are all the players with the elite fantasy quarterbacks that are passing all of the time. So I think it'll be hard for him to reach the top three or five wide receivers, but I think top 10 is definitely very safe. And if something does happen with Henry, whether he's not playing as well or gets an injury, then I think Brown can skyrocket to being one of the top three fantasy wide receivers of the season. And uh, looking at Julio, uh, you know, are there enough targets for Julio to come in there and be productive as well? I think so, yeah. I think um, top 20 wide receiver is definitely in his range just because Tennessee really doesn't have that many other receiving options. We know Henry's excellent at running with the ball, but he's not much of a receiver. Um, the tight ends will make a couple plays here and there. They don't really have a ton of depth at the wide receiver position. So I think we saw Corey Davis have a number of great weeks last year, even with A.J. Brown on the roster. So I think if Corey Davis was able to do it, Julio Jones will be able to do it too. Excellent. Hopefully he can stay healthy. I just like watching yeah. him play, which is fun. Uh, A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf both on that Ole Miss roster a few years back. That's just madness to me. Uh, Chris, I, I wanted to talk a little best ball. Let's sprinkle in uh, some of the underdog talk that I have been uh, that I wanted to have. I, I was sprinkling Josh Reynolds into my best ball lineups early on, but after the Julio trade, I kind of stopped. He's, he's basically free. I wanted to get mm -hmm. your take on whether or not he still makes sense as a late-round dart on underdog as I'm finally my uh, my last ditch effort best ball rosters. I think he'd be a fine add in, let's say Ryan Tannehill stacks. Like, so if he if you were to draft like Tannehill as your quarterback one, and you want to try and find at least a quote unquote unique way of finding a stack like with him to build that correlation into your lineup, like Reynolds does kind of fit because if you build in this, if you try and talk yourself down this road or this narrative of how their season plays out, we do look at uh, their like the their the Titans defense in and of itself being like relatively poor. So that could lead into some more shootouts. Like we were talking about earlier, if something were to happen to Derrick Henry, they do become more pass friendly. We could see an uptick in that volume, which would be great for AJ Brown and Julio Jones. But of course that would benefit Josh Reynolds as well. But Josh Reynolds, in his time in LA, he was primarily a perimeter receiver. He had like, I think less than a 17% slot rate, uh, 1.26 uh, yards per route run like last season, which is the yards per route runs PFF stat. Nate could probably tell us like all about it, but it just looks at some of the efficiency like for the routes that they, that he was running, which is not great. But if you contextualize that with the fact he was tied to Jared Goff, I can kind of understand it. But regardless, <laughs> I do think that in that particular system with the fact that like Ryan Tannehill, when he has been asked to go deep, he has been able to connect on uh, quite a few of those passes, AJ Brown on the end of some of those. I do think that if they wind up having to get into some of those shootouts and Josh Reynolds is the one on the field, he could benefit from that. So I don't mind it. I don't mind him as a deep target. I just rather do it like on those teams where if I have drafted Ryan Tannehill, I'd be looking for Josh Reynolds as like one of my last picks for sure. Nathan, um, if, feel free to expand upon yards per route run, as Chris brought up, which is great. And then also, uh, are you sprinkling Josh Reynolds or any of those Titans receivers into your best ball lineups? Uh, sure. First off, yards per route run, that's another efficiency metric. That's something that we found correlates very well from one season to another compared to 
other receiver stats. Uh, we like it better compared to something like uh, receiving yards per target just because um, the best receivers in the league get targeted a lot in non-ideal situations. If the quarterback has no one open and they just need someone to throw it to, then they're throwing it to their best receiver where someone like Josh Reynolds probably only getting thrown at if they're definitely open and the other wide receivers are covered. So we see um, yards per target uh, benefit receivers that aren't as good and hurt receivers that are good, which is not what you want. That's interesting. So yards per run takes into account how often you're getting targeted as well as um, how often you're on the field. So we found that being relatively consistent from one season to another. And then in terms of uh, drafting him in best ball, I think I definitely agree I would do it if I'm trying to do a Tennessee stack. But outside of that, I'm probably not going to be drafting him. Sure. We talk a lot about builds uh, on underdogs, so I'd like to ask the guests when they come on about their build strategy. Um, how do you approach the wide receiver position in underdog, and is it draft slot dependent? Um, sure. Most of the time, I'm trying to make sure I get two of the top 20 or so running backs. So most of the time, I'm not drafting a wide receiver until about round three or four. Um, often, I'll try to get a tight end early as well, just because um, I like the top six tight ends, and then basically everyone after that, I have lots of reason to be concerned about. So typically, I'll wait until around round four, and then just draft a ton of wide receivers from there, try to get about nine or so on my roster. Um, the one exception is probably if I'm having one of the last couple picks of the draft, uh, the 11th or 12th or so, um, then I'm finding the value of getting a Stefan Diggs uh, or Tyreek Hill better than one of the top 10 or around the 10th best running back. So in those cases, I'll tend to get one of the elite wide receivers because I find value there. But if not, then I'll just wait a couple rounds. Since there's so much depth at wide receiver, we've seen such an influx of talent of wide receivers in the league in these last two drafts. Basically, every team has two or three to be excited about. So I'm fine waiting on wide receiver and getting a bunch of them since I think plenty of them will pan out. I 100% agree with that approach because once you get into, let's say, even the 6th, 7th, 8th round, I could probably talk myself into a number of wide receivers. And one of the receiving cores that we wanted to talk about is the Jacksonville Jaguars like wide receiver group headlined by, at least at this point, the hype is surrounding LaVishka Chenault, but you still got DJ Chark there coming in his third season, also Marvin Jones like coming down from Detroit, reuniting with Daryl Bevel. So. Nathan, like, how are you approaching this wide receiver group? Because we do have, I mean, we've had this flippening happen with both uh, the ADPs of Chenault and Chark, with now Chenault going ahead of him, and then Jones is typically selected about two to three rounds later. What's your approach been to this group with Trevor Lawrence at the helm of all of it? Um, sure. I have Chenault ranked highest among the three. Um, I was a little bit concerned early in the preseason. Um, the Jacksonville throughout the preseason was not using him in 12 personnel at all, which is concerning when they had a number of injuries at wide receiver, and a lot of the players that were playing with the starters are no longer on the roster, so the fact that they weren't even considering him in that personnel group was a little concerning, but they were also sticking with 11 personnel over 80% of the time when Trevor Lawrence was on the field, so um, it kind of depends on what their strategy is there. They definitely were trying to get him the ball, which I think that'll help. So as long as they're sticking with the strategy they were in the preseason of almost never having two tight ends on the field, which with the depth they have at tight end, I don't entirely blame them. And then I do think Marvin Jones is the best value compared to his current ADP. Um, I think talent-wise, he is a better receiver than Shark. Um, he was one of the top 10 fantasy wide receivers over the last couple weeks of the season um, has been a touchdown scoring machine uh, saw a decent number of targets in the preseason as well so um, I definitely like Jones at his ADP and then Shark I'd say is the third best option of the group and the third best option for an offense that will probably be below average um, I'm probably not as high on him compared to his ADP which I automatically I, I do agree because if anything, what the offseason kind of has kind of told us regarding his value to the team, I mean, with the comments that Urban Meyer has made, like so on and so forth, it does make some sense for us to kind of pull back on our exposure to DJ Chark and then move and then look at like either of Chenault or Jones as the guys to target there within Jacksonville. Uh, Nate, just another quick question for you. 
do you think that it's easy to just draw a straight line from Travis Etienne getting injured? What the, well, actually take that back. I guess the first thing would have been Urban Meyer talking about they needed somebody. Uh, they, he wanted to draft Kadarius Toney, which if you look at his production, it, like back in college, it was more of that, you know, I don't want to say gadget, let's say manufactured touch, like short area of the field, that sort of thing. They have Travis Etienne working as a receiver throughout most of the offseason. He gets injured. Now, can we just draw a straight line through all those events to Chenault being the beneficiary, quote-unquote, of this ETN injury now with some of those targets being up for grabs? Oh, yeah, I think he's probably the biggest beneficiary. I think James Robinson does benefit from this just because at least the limited times that we saw ETN in the preseason, it was still at the running back position. I was a little worried we'd see ETN in the slot at least a little bit in the preseason, but actually we saw um, other backup wide receivers playing in the slot instead of Chenault uh, occasionally. So um, I think both players probably benefit the most since they'll both see more targets. Even Carlos Hyde, I could see seeing at least a little bit of third down work and benefiting somewhat from that. All right. And so moving on to just that, how that running back squad like shakes out, we've got James Robinson back in order to, uh, he's going to be essentially the James Robinson of 2021. But what do we, what do you guys see for James Robinson this season? Like, is he now going to be like the same type of uh, running back that he was last season where he was able to maintain over, let's say, 70% of the rushing opportunities, if not greater than, also with a high uh, a high target share within the offense as well. Is that what you're projecting for Robinson this season, or should we hold off on just crowning him in RB1 in 2021? I think we should hold off because of Carlos Hyde. Robinson last year, we saw such ridiculous usage out of him at times with Jacksonville, Um, getting rid of Leonard Fournette, but then also having injuries and COVID situations to the backup running back. So they also didn't really have much of a choice but to have Robinson be the primary runner and seeing a very high percentage of the carries. I think Carlos Hyde will at least take um, at least between 5 to 10 carries per game, which a lot of the time we weren't even seeing that out of a backup running back in Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. So I think just that will bring Robinson back down to earth a little bit. Um, Robinson's still a very talented player. He showed that last year that he deserved to be the starter, despite also having injuries allowing him to be the starter. So um, I think he's definitely a solid RB2 this season, but I think he'll have a harder time getting to RB1 just because Carlos Hyde's on the roster. Agreed. And I've seen his ADP has now, I mean, completely skyrocketed after the ETN injury. I've seen him as early as the third round. That's in a couple of fast drafts that I've been doing for it to kind of get my final exposure or shots on these uh, these puppies and best ball manias. But regardless, I think all of that value, any of the guys that we just talked about from Chark Chenault to uh, James Robinson, it all intersects at Trevor Lawrence, like the 101 of the 2021 draft. I remember reading a piece from uh, from PFF's uh, Ian Harditz uh, over the off season about uh, about T Law. What we're going to be, what sh- what should we expect from him? I guess Nathan, I wanted to get your thoughts on Trevor Lawrence. I mean, is he a guy that's going to be able to give us quarterback one upside like right out of the gate, or should we be just planning for maybe a slow start? We'll see how things go, and at the very least, he should be a quarterback two for fantasy purposes this season. Yeah, I think there's enough good quarterbacks this year that we don't need to expect him to be a quarterback one right away. There's definitely at least 12 players out there that you can trust to be your quarterback one to start with. But he is someone that I'd be targeting for a backup quarterback position because he does have that upside. He looked excellent throughout his time in college. Jacksonville has a number of weapons around him. So all of the things are in place for him to be able to be a top quarterback. We just don't know if that'll happen this year or not. So I think he's the ideal person that you're trying to get as a backup quarterback because he has the upside to get there, but there's a chance he might not. But even if he doesn't, then you drafted someone who should still be a quarterback one. So he's definitely a risk. I think he's worth taking. Yeah, I, uh, I I've been targeting him as a QB two as well. You know, he's going QB sixteen in most uh, in most leagues. That that's kind of right in the realm of where I want. I also think the Jags are going to throw the ball a lot because I th- I think the defense isn't going to be good. So yeah, have you done the hard work on your football fantasy roster this week? 
Take all that hard work and turn it into real cash with prize picks. Simply pick two or more players, decide if they'll go over or under for their stat projection. For week one, I love the over on Matt Ryan against the Eagles. I think they're going to throw the ball a ton. And I love the under on Zeke Elliott against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who were the best run defense in the league last year. Download the Prize Picks app today or visit prizepicks.com. And if you deposit this week with promo code 4 for 4, you will get a $100 instant deposit bonus match dollar for dollar. Prize Picks is hands down the most fun, fast, and easy way to play daily fantasy sports. Prizepicks.com, play today. Uh, let's shift over to the Colts and top Colts. And since uh, since we're talking quarterbacks, I just want to quickly say Carson Wentz, uh, Jacob Eason, <laughs> anyone worth considering outside of two quarterback leagues? Obviously, two quarterback leagues uh, changed things a little bit, those super flex formats. But, Nathan, is there any hope uh, for Carson Wentz to kind of elevate above his ADP and become uh, worth considering in redraft formats? I am pretty much avoiding him in redraft. I think um, most teams, you only need two quarterbacks in redraft. And if you draft someone like Patrick Mahomes, you probably don't really need to get a backup you can probably try to get another running back or wide receiver with upside and just wait for the bye week so I think he's someone that even in his time in Philadelphia he was at his best a consistent fantasy starter but rarely in that top five range and I think in a backup fantasy quarterback I'm trying to get someone who at his best could beat out whoever I picked as my starter and I don't see Wentz doing that I don't think he has the receiving talent around him, and I know he's reuniting with his old coach, but his old coach really liked to run the ball, and they have a better running situation in Indianapolis than they share together in Philadelphia, so I think they'll be running plenty, and that'll hurt Wentz's upside, and I think there's just other quarterbacks with more talent that also hurt his upside. Uh, Excellent. You talk about the running situation. We're going to get to the pass catchers as well. But uh, Jonathan Taylor, he's kind of dropped a little bit early this offseason. I saw him uh, going back into the first round. Now I see him pretty steadily in the middle of the second round. How bullish are we on him uh, in an offense that, uh, you know, saw some changes this offseason? How bullish are we on Jonathan Taylor delivering RB1, RB2 numbers? I have him right around the start of the second round. That's where I'd be typically picking him. I think, one, he's a very talented running back. Um, Over the second half of the season, he was among the top two or three graded running backs by our PFF grades. So the talent is definitely there. Um, I do think it made sense to drop him a little bit in the rankings from two or so months ago just with the injuries they've been having. I'm more concerned about the offensive line injuries than the Wentz injury for that. So I think the offensive line, uh, that all takes some time to get to 100%, so Taylor will reach his potential. Um, and I think he's in a group of running backs with like Aaron Jones, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick Chubb, all of which, those four are some of the most talented running backs in the league, but they also have fairly talented backup running backs. So um, I think the fact that Naeem Hines is on the roster uh, makes it a little bit more difficult, I think. Um, the Colts will do their best to get both players the ball a ton, but I think if Naheem, Naheem Hines was not on the roster, I'd probably put Taylor back in the first round, uh, closer to the middle of the first round. Yeah, I, I like Hines. You know, he's like 12th round. You can get him in most leagues. Are you buying Hines as kind of a late-round target, especially in uh, half PPR and PPR formats? Um, I think it depends a lot on the format of the league. I could see him as a flex play at running back, where you'll have to live with the ups and downs. I think there will be some weeks where um, he just has the hot hand and the Colts decide to either hand him the ball off or target him a lot. We saw him have a couple very good weeks last year, even with Jonathan Taylor healthy. So um, I think that's really where his value is, is as uh, someone you can put in the flex position and hope for the best. But I also don't see him as a great hand cut option just because uh, Mac is back on the roster so I think if Taylor were to get injured I would see Mac getting a lot of the carries rather than Hines getting that much of an increased role in the offense I don't want Jonathan Taylor to get hurt but I do want return of the Mac to play every time Marlon Mack gets a carry I just want that to happen so uh so let's hope there's a little bit of love there that I can I can get my 90s nostalgia in Chris uh based on what Nathan just said about Naheem Hines and uh kind of the hope for the best mentality is he a better target in best ball formats do you think I, I, honestly, I, I could see him being a target in either best ball or managed leagues, but I think Nathan laid it out correctly about how, like, what's your 
team structure like prior to like if you're gonna go i would see him on like a zero rb list like absolutely i could also see him if you uh, were gonna go let's say like a hero rb like type of uh, type of mentality and have that strategy to open up your particular draft as well it just depends on like what running backs you've also like added to your roster like prior to but i think regardless last year 14% target share. I believe he was either fourth or fifth in terms of yards per route run across like all running backs like last season. So efficient runner, got plenty of targets. Now was he a product of Phillip Rivers because I believe they were targeted either like they were either second, third or fourth uh, in terms of targeting the running backs uh, last season. So if he was a t- product of Phillip Rivers, which is entirely possible, okay, fine. But I'm also trying to, I guess, reconcile what Wentz is going to be like or how he's going to be deployed or like what he's going to be looking for once he gets on the field like from a target's perspective will Frank Reich in this reclamation project and trying to fix Carson Wentz tell like ask him to slow down not try and take those deep shots that were getting him into trouble when he was still in Philadelphia look at his shorter reads like the Naheem Hines of the world that are pretty much going to give them at least a better chance of moving the ball down the field versus him turning it over multiple times. So I'm trying to talk myself into like that sort of scenario where he is using the tight ends a bit more often. He is using the running backs a bit more often. I mean, Jonathan Taylor in his own right, he had almost a 9% target share as well, like down the back end of the season. So I can just see either of them being involved in the passing game enough that both wind up paying off like their particular ADPs, like where they're going at right now in drafts. Sure. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, Carson Wentz of the shorter approach. You know, Wentz always was able to make use of Zach Ertz, make use of Dallas Goddard, uh, the tight ends there. Uh, the Colts have like this like cluster of like interesting, talented tight ends that that none of them actually really do anything, but they're all interesting. There's the rookie Kylan Granson. Mo Ali Cox has been like a breakout favorite for what seems like 17 years in a row. And, uh, and then Jack Doyle is always kind of hanging around. Nathan, are we interested in any of the tight ends uh, with the Colts, even as just like late round darts, or is it just too much of a cluster? Um, I think in best ball, I'm fine taking a late round dart on any one of the three, just because they probably aren't rostered all that much. Um, and redraft, I'm out on all of them. I think even if it was just Moali Cox and Jack Doyle fighting against each other for snaps, um, they can be used pretty interchangeably. Doyle um, is the better run blocker, so he's probably going to be on run plays, which doesn't really help for fantasy at all. But they were both used pretty interchangeably at times throughout the season in 11 personnel and two tight end sets. And then I don't know what to do with Granson in the mix as well. Uh, the Colts didn't play their starters a ton in the preseason, but even then it was uh, Farad Green who was taking a lot of the like every down roll at tight ends in those situations. He's on the practice squad now with Granson only coming in in two tight end sets when they were playing uh, with the starters. So Granson um, could just be coming in in two tight end sets. They could try to make him uh, specifically an 11 personnel on later downs, which um, is still only a partial part of the playing time, so I could see all three of these tight ends uh, getting a pretty even share of targets throughout the season, which makes it harder to trust any of them. Hard to argue with that. I can't. I can't imagine going into a week, even like a bye week or something, and being like in redraft and like confidently putting Mo Alley Cox or Jack Doyle in my lineup. So, so I'm with you there on the redraft. Let's stick with the pass catchers. Uh, Nathan, T.Y. Hilton's out at least for a little while. Uh, does that move the needle on the other Colts wide receivers for you? We know Michael Pittman is already being drafted pretty high. Uh, some people like the the rookie Mike Stration, who uh, was was uh, just listed on the Colts as a starting uh, starting outside receiver. Zach Pascal's still hanging around there. Paris Campbell, some people like, and I think he's healthy. Uh, any of those receivers more interesting to you now that T.Y. Hilton's out? Um, I think uh, Pittman's probably still by far the most interesting receiver on the Colts. I think, uh, like you said, he was getting drafted decently highly before, um, liked him out, coming out of college. Uh, Zach Pascal, he's been consistently playing in the slot in the preseason whenever they've had the starters play, and they've held him out whenever they've kept the starters out. So um, I think he's pretty locked into that slot role, regardless of what was happening with Hilton. And we basically know what he is already. He's probably not someone you want starting. And then Paris Campbell, uh, he was playing on the outside with the starters over uh, Strachan, um in the last preseason game. So 
uh, that's out of position for him since Campbell uh, typically was a slot receiver, but it looks like Pascal's kept that role. Um, I could see this in the long run being a helpful thing for Campbell if he's able to learn the outside receiving job more. But I could also see them doing a lot of rotation at wide receiver as well, um, getting all of those guys some playing time. So Pittman is still probably the only one that I am comfortable even drafting at this point. Um, best ball again, could see taking some of these guys later in the draft uh, just as a flyer to see what happens with them. But And redraft Pittman's the only one I'm going for. Yeah, Chris, are you paying for Pittman? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think he does have one of the production profiles that kind of fit that second year breakout. I mean, fairly efficient, like from a uh, like from an air yards conversion. So there's a metric, Josh Hermsmeyer. I wasn't sure if he's the one that coined the term, but a racer a receiver air yards conversion ratio, if I'm remembering correctly, or at least that, that's how the acronym is defined. Uh, so it looks at the amount of air yards that you got uh, versus the total receiving yards that you're able to get, which combines like both the air yards and also your yards after the catch. And I mean, Pittman was actually one of the better wide receivers in terms of doing so in the league. I think he had like over like 500 receiving yards, like versus his 250 air yards, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but either way, um, with his not just his efficiency, he does also have like some like burst and speed from for a taller wide receiver. And also he's just the one that we can already see being able to command like the level of targets that we would want for wide receiver, especially where he's going in drafts. Uh, so while I do, I am still holding out hope for Paris Campbell. That's just because he's an Ohio State guy, like one of my guys. Uh, I do think that Pittman carries like the greatest profile from a wide receiver standpoint that's going to command enough targets for us to at least be interested in him like from a fantasy perspective. So that's currently where I'm going, uh, but we'll we'll see like how things shake out, especially with the injuries across the offensive line. I mean, they got one guy, one of their backups out for a torn ACL. One of their guys is on the COVID list. We don't know how Wentz's foot is going to look. So I'm approaching Indianapolis as a whole as just looking at their core players. So really it's just been... Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, and Naheem Hines. And then after that, it's just kind of, unless uh, similar to the Josh Reynolds uh, conversation we had earlier, unless I'm stacking Carson Wentz, I'm really just looking at those three guys. Uh, So the last, uh, I guess the last team that we wanted to look at to wrap up the AFC South, Nate, it's Houston. I, I don't know, like, if anybody is really mining that team for fantasy-relevant production this season, but, of course, we do have to talk about them. Uh, let's just get it right out of the way, right out the gate. Deshaun Watson, is there any merit to drafting him at this point, redraft, best ball, any of that? I mean, have, has your approach tried to integrate, like, Deshaun Watson into any of your drafts so far? I haven't picked him anywhere. I can understand someone wanting to pick him just because he's very consistently been a top five fantasy quarterback whenever he's been healthy and playing. But at this point, like I don't see him playing this year. I would be very surprised if he does play. And especially in redraft, there are so many other options that have top five upside. Getting someone like Trey Lance or Justin Fields who won't have value week one But once they're in the starting lineups with their rushing production, I could see them being great quarterbacks. Um, Talked about Tua earlier, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, someone who finally gets to be a starter. We've seen him have plenty of top five fantasy weeks in various places that he has played. And for once, he should consistently be a starter with a lot of talent around him. So I could see Fitzpatrick being another one of those guys that you're getting as a backup quarterback that I would rather I see it being a lot more likely they're able to get to a top five point at some point this season compared to the odds of Deshaun Watson playing at any point this season. Yeah, 100% agree there because if you're thinking about trying to get that production either early on in the season, so let's say if you do, if you had waited until the back end of your draft in order to like grab a guy, so let's say if you waited a bit, you start off with Tour or like Kirk Cousins or any of those guys. I, even still, I do think there are a number of other quarterbacks that would still provide like weekly value. Any of the guys that you laid out, I'll even toss out a couple others like Sam Darnold, who gets the Jets in week one. He's got Houston in week three, Dallas in week four, starts off with a decent schedule. Uh, I mean, Minnesota also has like three decent like uh, three decent matchups like right in a row. So Kirk Cousins also. So there's just so many other quarterbacks that I think that will be most likely available on your waiver wire unless you have a just a deeper league that requires more quarterbacks. But I just 
for the life of me, I can't see with even the 20 plus sexual misconduct allegations against him. We don't even know if the commissioner's exempt list is going to be in the cards for him, but it's probably looming quite large. I don't see how he doesn't wind up at least missing a significant portion of the season, making it very difficult for us to see any sort of fantasy production from him. And that's just the quarterback position. Let's move over to the running back position. We've got how many throw, uh, I consider them throwbacks at this point, at the running back position. We've got Mark Ingram, we've got Rex Burkhead, David Johnson, now Philip Lindsay, now all a part of that running back squad. Are you trying to grab any one of those guys like in your leagues, redraft or otherwise? Because I just, for the life of me, I, I can't see it. So maybe you, there's something you might have that can help me make sense of this, this group right here. Um, I definitely am avoiding all of them. Uh, Ingram and Lindsay have been splitting work on early downs. Johnson and Burkett splitting work on third downs. Um, in general, it's fairly hard for someone who only plays on third down to have any fantasy value. And that's up there getting 100% of the third down work. So the fact that two players will be splitting time there isn't very helpful. Um, early downs, having someone only take the early down work also isn't all that great. It's like similar-ish to what's happening in Tampa Bay with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, where you don't really know which one's going to have a good week one week versus the other, except these two running backs aren't quite as talented and they aren't in nearly as good as offenses, so much lower chances of scoring touchdowns. Um, the only thing I'd say is that Houston is where we expect them to be, like in the middle of the season, um, so having a fairly bad losing record. These are four of the oldest running backs in the league. I would not be surprised if they have some other running back either on the roster, um, pick up someone from someone else's practice squad, and they end up starting to see Tottenham as the season goes on once they start preparing for 2022. So um, that's the only thing I'd say is keep an eye on what they're doing beyond those four backs because maybe one of them could see a lot of playing time late in the season. Can we please get them Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, and uh, Devontae Freeman, please, just for fun? Oh, we need Frank Gore as well. Gore yes, too, exactly, yeah. yeah. Might as well just throw him into the mix. And no, I, I 100% agree, Nathan, because last season, uh, Houston was 27th in adjusted line yards. It's a metric that football outsiders use. Our own Justin Edwards, who takes a look at offensive line ratings, has them ranked like 31st this year because they've done just almost the bare minimum. And I can't even say they've done that in order to improve their offensive line, which is saying something. And looking at their season, I hadn't really considered thinking about if they make a move, bring somebody up from the practice squad, pull somebody from another team or whatever, because I think you're absolutely right. If I'm remembering correctly, uh, DK Sportsbook, they have Houston at like a, the line for them in terms of total wins, I believe is four. And most folks have been betting the under. So it's entirely probable that we get towards the middle parts of the season and they start just kind of poking around at other teams and they bring up somebody uh, that could wind up filling in for any of the four guys that we just talked about. So I'm not interested in any of the running backs. Some of the wide receivers I am. I've been somewhat avoiding Brandon Cooks. Like, I get it whenever, wherever he's gone, he's been able to produce. Not completely sold on what we're going to get from the quarterback play, but we'll see. But Nico Collins, a wide receiver out of Michigan, I am somewhat intrigued by his profile and what he can bring like to that squad. I think he, at least from where I'm sitting right now, I think he has a better chance to outproduce guys like Anthony Miller that are still there. I know they cut like Kiki Kuti that some folks were somewhat excited about. But can you talk to me a bit about Nico Collins? Like, are you interested in him or do we really just need to figure out what the rest of the offense is going to look like before we can get too excited about him? He's someone that I'm interested in taking a late-round flyer on. I think even with the talent problems Houston will have, they'll be down in a lot of games, having to throw a ton late in games to even try staying in the game. So I could see Houston throwing a lot, and a lot of volumes. definitely good for all wide receivers. Um, he was mostly fighting with Chris Conley for that outside role. Um, I could see them kind of splitting time early in the season, but I think... As the season goes on, I think Collins will become an every-down player for Houston. And being an every-down player in an offense that needs to pass a ton, um, at the very least, the volume will be there. Um, whether or not their quality targets is another thing, but um, I also think he's talented. So having volume and talent and just maybe not the quarterback play is still someone worth having on your roster. I agree. And just it's probably too subjective but if you look at his measurables i mean 6'4 215 
even some of the highlight videos that are available, they showed uh, the in when he was still playing in Michigan, he was essentially that guy that you just see the quarterback take like a three-step drop and just throw that fade towards the back end of the end zone, which we know is an inefficient play, but it would be Nico Collins at the at the end of that. And just since he has such a massive wingspan, he would come down with them. So I can I can see folks drawing a straight line towards him being that red zone target since they really don't have a lot of guys on the roster that would threaten any sort of defense, like even if they make it down to that end of the field. But I, I'm, I'm with you, Nathan, that I would approach Nico Collins as one of those flyers that we know they're going to need to pass. He does have that big body like archetype that would, that could command like a few targets here and there. Is like fairly quick for a guy his size as well. So if folks are looking for a back end of the roster type flyer, I think Nico Collins kind of fills that role. I, I like him too. You know, I, I liked his profile. Like you said, you know, being able to be an X receiver and allow Brandon Cooks to move around a little bit, I think helps that offense. So I'm with you. You know, the fact that he's free and nobody's buying the Houston offense has kind of made it to where I sprinkle a couple of those pass catchers in there. Uh, Nathan, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Everyone be sure to follow Nathan on Twitter at PFF underscore Nate Yankee. That's J-A-H-N-K-E. Go read all his stuff at Pro Football Focus. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Any last thoughts or plugs before we go? Uh, sure. First off, thanks for having me. As far as plugs, if you still haven't had your fantasy draft yet, um, we have a draft kit full of all of our articles from the offseason to get you ready. And then throughout the season, probably biggest piece that I'm excited about is my fantasy recaps. That'll be going up on Sundays um, for the early games. It'll be while the late games are still going on looking at all of the ways that the teams use their players and how that impacts their fantasy status going forward. So um, that's an article I'm excited to do again this year and hope on Sundays while you're waiting for Sunday Night Football to start, you go ahead and check out. Excellent, excellent. I read some of them last year. I'm looking forward to having them come back. Chris, always a pleasure. Thank you so much again. Any final thoughts before we go? No, uh, I mean, so uh, so grateful for Nathan taking the time in order to talk with us. Excited for football gracing us again this season here in the next like few days. So let's go ahead and get into it. I'm excited. I get to set lineups this week. I'm so excited. I haven't set a lineup in so long. It's going to be fun. Uh, Listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back uh, every Monday night for uh, in-season content, Chris, Jen, and I. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at 2GuysBrandon and at ChrisAllenFFWX. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day.